0: Good morning again, and we want to ask you guys to um, adults anyway to turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 That's a good sign that we're finishing up our fall series And you're supposed to act disappointed a collective groan or moan would be good Yeah Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I hope you've had time in my fluff to turn there. We're going to look at this um, First verse and I bet some of you've heard this before Ecclesiastes twelve, twelve, one, 12 1 rather Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. There's an old song, an 80s anthem, a little ditty about Jack and Diane, two young kids growing up in the heartland. Jackie wants to be a football star, something about a car, I won't get into all that, but the chorus says, oh yeah, say it with me, life goes on Long after the thrill of living, it's gone. That 80s anthem by John Cougar Mellencamp that I grew up on is really similar to what Solomon is saying here. Do you see this? Uh, I have no pleasure in them. The, The old days he describes as evil, and we've been learning as we look at this existential philosopher, this preacher, teacher, that we have to be careful as we weigh his words. He weighs his words carefully, but as we understand them, we have to dig into it to get the, the full impact. And we've looked over and over how he has said that life under the sun is monotonous, it's meaningless, death is certain, wealth is futile, and he says it's just not worth living, life that is not under the sun. He says, remember God, and he gives us a challenge this morning as we close our look at this book, one of the wisdom literature books, we want to consider this idea of remembering our Creator in our youth. Why does Solomon say we should do that? Because there's coming a time when we will no longer be young anymore. And he's saying in the last chapter really what he has said in the third chapter that truly there is a season. There's a season to things and you and I are healthier, we're better if we know the season that we're in. An old couple, really old couple's going to bed one night, they crawl into bed and the woman is mentioning every hurt, every pain, every ailment that she has, just one by one, she goes on and on. And that old husband said, well, you know, I feel like a newborn baby. She said, really? He said, yeah. I've got no hair, I've got no teeth and I think I just wet my pajamas. Solomon is saying that in our youth, there's this vitality, this creativity. There's this sharpness of memory, of mind, and wit. And then somewhere along the way, we begin to lose it. We began to not know where we put our car keys. We begin taking a herb, an herb that's supposed to improve our memory. We just can't remember what the name of that herb is. And there's something that just happens along the way. Look what he says in verse 2 of chapter 12. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. What is he saying? He's saying that you will probably, if you live long enough, you will leave this world just as you came into this world. Now how did you come into this world? Tell me, anybody got an infant baby? We got a whole bunch of them down the hallway. And now what does an infant do? What does an infant do all day? They eat and they sleep, and let's just say they go to the bathroom, right? And what else do they do? That's about it. And if you live long enough, what are you going to do all day? You're going to eat, you're going to sleep, you're going to go to the bathroom. What else? That's about it. And here Solomon is saying that we are better if we grasp the inevitability of life. And in a moment, I want to do what I believe Solomon intends for this last chapter, to speak to our young people. But let's walk through a little bit about what he says. Chapter 12, verse 3 to 7, he gives some very picturesque illustrations, examples of what happens as we age. Aren't you glad you came today? Just a lot of joy. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high and terrors in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God, who gave it. Now, what all is he saying? You've got to really enter in that, enter into that to understand it. But he's saying several things. Let's just—I I won't explain them all, but I'll try to give you a quick hit on several of these. Uh, he's saying that the keepers of the house tremble. That means as you get older you will start shaking. He says, strong men are bent. That means as you get older, you will shrink. It happens, doesn't. it? I was walking around Fondren Thursday night, Fondren after five, and I see my guy Jeremy over there, who's a part of Fondren Church, I said, man, how tall are you? And Jeremy said, what, six? Six, 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 okay, very impressive. A guy, right when we were speaking, a guy walks by me much taller than Jeremy, and I'm not one to be shy around strangers. I said, hey, dude, how tall are you? And he goes, guess, which I, you know, I thought he was wanting to fight or something. He said, guess. And I said, six. He goes, mm-mm. I said, he said, seven, one. And I always say, bigger the man, the bigger the fall. And I just pushed him over and said, timber. No. <laughs> I have a friend who is about 5'11". And he claims that long ago he was about six two. I don't know if that's believable, but you know what? We do shake and we do shrink. It's a part of it. He says that the grinders, um, because they are few, they will go low or they will cease. What's he talking about there? He's talking about, he's talking about our teeth. He says those who look through the windows, they will see things dimly. He's talking about our vision, our eyesight. He goes on to talk about several things, about being scared of heights, about being scared of loud noises. He's making several references there. He says the song uh, of the birds, you'll rise with the song of the birds. What does that mean? Sleep, you get up early, right? Old people, you just wake up early. Have you noticed that old people talk about their sleep? They wake up and they interact with their friends. They say, how was your sleep last night? And could you ever imagine a young person looking at each other over in their preschool and saying, hey, how'd you sleep last night? (laughs) What was the quality and duration of your sleep? Did you hit the REM stage, right? They don't do that, but old people do, right? And he, he goes on to say some things like the almond tree it it shows a whiteness. What's he saying there? This is particularly painful for me. But he says, "If you have hair in your old age, it will be white." He goes on to say that desire fails. What's he talking about? I don't want to offend your delicate sensibilities, but he's talking about sexual desire. And I love my boy Solomon, who had a bunch of wives and a bunch of women. And he basically says, "I got no teeth. I got no hair. I can't hear. I can't see. I can't really move." Sex is over with, right? And he puts it right before death. And he gives that poetic phrase that many singer-songwriters have employed uh, dust to dust. And that's where the inevitability of life is. As Solomon paints the picture, he goes on to say, he talks about the silver cord. Um, it's is broken, it's shattered. How did he put that? It snapped that's referring to the spine. The golden bowl is broken. Most scholars believe that he's referring to his head. The pitcher is shattered at the fountain. You, you, you just have to read a little bit of Solomon to know that he's talking about the heart there and the will broken at the cistern. He's probably referring to the circulation of blood. So Solomon says things began to slow up and that is the result of living long. It's just the way it is. It's life under the sun. It's the the de- de- delicate nature of decay. But he says to us here, he gives us a few things that I, I want us to learn, I want us to consider today before we go. And the first is this idea that I want to call relish. Some of, some of the versions of say that very thing. In chapter 11, you'll have to back up if you have an open Bible or if you can access it. He says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days Of your youth now what do we know about youth young people have at this stage of their life they have maximum energy and minimum responsibility you see that don't you and Solomon is saying that we need to let our young people be young people that makes some of you nervous doesn't it but man let let our young people be who they are in that season old people Older people, we need to let our young people be young people. To revel in that, to understand this whole maximum energy, minimum responsibility is actually a gift from God. And to be able to lean into that and understand its usefulness, its productivity, its potential, and its passion. Now I see some old people, I'm just going to deviate a little bit, but I see some old people trying to act like young people. And I just want to say, man, be, you know, I see you, baby, but be in your season, okay? Be in your season. You you know what? Your kids want you to be in your season. Your grandkids, they really want you to be in your season. It's important as we grow to realize that. But there's something about youth. Now, how important is this idea of rejoice? Do you know Solomon gives it to us? He says to rejoice. He says that you and I ought to We ought to enjoy life isn't it maddening to think of the apparent contradiction life is meaningless life is monotonous it's futile Uh, there's just nothing it's vanity of vanities over and over again 38 times in these 12 chapters but then he says the word rejoice we ought to enjoy life in chapter 2 in chapter 3 in chapter 5 in chapter 8 in chapter 9 and here in chapter 11 he uses that word rejoice or revel in the goodness of life, despite the maddening nature of it all, we have to stop for joy. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the art of savoring, and this is sort of a similar idea, but it's directed toward our young people. Men know your season and revel in that. It's really, really important. If you look back, those with an open Bible at chapter 11 and verse seven, he talks about the lightness. When you see the light, there's a sweetness and a pleasantness there. And that means, you know, when you're young, you wake up and things are just good. You can see things better and it just feels better and you turn up the music and you roll down the window and y'all, that is a very good thing. I I, I pray, I hope that as a parent and as a pastor and leaders around me, that we would, we would encourage that, that we would be a fun church and that we would let our young people be young. You need to revel. Now the last part, we would call it chapter 11, verse 9b. He gives the second idea beyond just revel or rejoicing. He says, experiment. Experiment. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight Of your eyes. Solomon is saying, first of all, life, uh, it's a gift. Enjoy it. And now here he's saying life is an adventure. Live by faith. Experiment. Try things. Now he gives, if you were to read chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, he gives, I think, two examples of living a life of adventurous faith. Things that are similar to... uh, that we can understand, that possibly we can relate to, either by experience or by study or understanding. But he gives the example of a merchant that sends ships out to sea and a farmer that sows seeds. Now there's dangers in both, right? A, f- a merchant can't sit around and wait until circumstances are ideal. A farmer can't sit around and wait till circumstances are ideal because don't you know that circumstances are rarely ideal? Have you learned that in life? I mean, you just can't wait. Life is, it's an adventure. We ought to live by faith, all of us, especially young people. We need to encourage our people to experience and to try things, but we need to know the danger. We need to teach them about the opportunity, and we also need to teach them about the accorded danger involved. A merchant can what? They can meet storms, they can hit a reef, they can be attacked by pirates. A farmer could lose his crop. It could be destroyed by, by blight, by insects, by drought, by a number of different weather patterns. But Solomon teaches, if you look back at chapter 11, we don't have time this morning, but if you were look back, you would see in those first few verses of chapter 11, he talks about uh, going after it and not waiting around. He'll say, cast your bread on the water, do something. Live life. It's an adventure. Why, as the church, do we have a reputation for not experimenting? Traditions are important, aren't they? Traditions hold a family, a a group, a, a faith group together. I, for one, want traditions to be a part of Fondren Church. I want to lead us in important traditions, but we need to get in the grand adventure of faith. And our circumstances will not be ideal, and that means we need to get out in front, and we need to trust, and we need to live that adventure that Jesus has called us to live. And Solomon is saying, that's the way to go. That's the way. Life is a gift and joy. Life is an adventure. Live by faith. Now, he says in the last part of this verse, If you look down, he talks about the judgment of God. He tells our young people, man, experiment. Experiment. Don't sit around. Try things. Get out on the water. Work the land. Do something good. Make a contribution. Discover who you are. And it's important, by the way, as we shape the lives of young people to give them feedback. To give them feedback. You know, just because you're enthusiastic about something doesn't mean you're good at it. And it's important for people my age and some of our older congregates to speak into the lives. We need more parents who will give feedback, to stick around, to see their kids, and give meaningful, constructive feedback. But he says, because let me just say this: Chapter eleven, verse nine, b, what talks about walking in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. What's problematic about that? I mean, honestly, I've stood up here before and I've, I've, I've preached a sermon. I've made fun of that idea of following your heart. Don't follow your heart. And I've enjoined the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17 who says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can understand it? Please be careful not to follow your wicked heart. It could get you in trouble. Please don't follow your heart. And that would be great if there wasn't this verse that said follow your heart, right? And it's just like life, isn't it? You know, uh, Mr. Rogers said that That uh, life is really deep and simple, but we make it shallow and complicated. And we enter into the depth of life when we realize, man, you ought to follow your heart. Hey, young people, man, what's God doing in your heart? You know, you're an individual. I won't get corny and do that snowflake thing, but you know, you're really unique. And God has gifted you, he's made you, he's designed you. What's he doing in your heart? I pray that you would follow that. But as a pastor, as a student of the word, as a a student of life, I would also say, be careful. I joined Jeremiah saying, be careful in following your heart. I joined Jesus who in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23, look it up later. If you're a note taker, write that down, Mark 7, 20 to 23. He talks about our heart, the condition of the human heart. And he says that things get lodged in there. In fact, we really all live out of our hearts. But the heart is a very dangerous thing. And that's why Solomon here, I love the wisdom of this man when he says, walk in the ways of your heart and the side of your eyes. Find out who you are and what you love and go after it, but be careful because you're going to face God's judgment. Do we talk about that enough here? Your life and mine, we're accountable to God. Follow your heart, but not into something that's stupid, that's self-destructive or illegal. Eight years ago and 10 miles down the road, a young man came to see me one day. And he was kind of sneaky and he said, Pastor, I want to to talk to you. I want to talk to you about my life. I want to talk to you about baptizing me. But we can't, you probably can't baptize me in church. I'm just going to tell you. Because it'd be too painful for people to see me being baptized because of what I've done. He told me his name, he goes, you've heard about me, right? And honestly, I hadn't. I guess I follow world news more at times than I do local news and I I didn't know about him. And oddly enough, I'm insatiably curious, but even when he left my office that day, I didn't even Google him. And I just think that's God's grace because I was able to love on this man. But he says, can God forgive me? I pray that he can. And I want a new life in Jesus, and I pray that he can heal the hearts of all the people that I've destroyed. And I, like him, I don't use that word lightly. You see, a couple hours away from here, those eight years ago, he was partying. He was probably walking in the ways of his heart. He was probably doing what he wanted to do as he looked at life, and he was with some fun people. And he left a party With three young ladies in his Jeep. And they had all been drinking. And he has a wreck. And they're thrown out and they're thrown through glass. And two die. And one was critically injured. Evidently, as the story goes, there's conflicting stories, but he made a phone call calling for help, but he fled the scene. He had somebody take him to the hospital. And in my office that day, whatever truth is, you know, God knows. God knows the truth of that story. But he fled and later, you know, we came around him and we loved him. And I, was, I tried to be as careful as I could understanding the sensitivity in the community. Two young ladies dead. Another critically injured. And the hearts of many destroyed. Can I be forgiven? Can I, can I be baptized? Hey, Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me not to have to do a lot of time? Would you pray that God would be in the midst of the justice system? And he was sentenced to 55 years in prison. Likely, he'll die there. And I talked to someone in the justice system, somebody who knew about this, and he said, man, if he if it had just stayed if it had just stayed had he not panicked had he not fled much lighter sentence he was engaged he'll never marry there's things that are stupid things that are self destructive and things that are illegal and I guess I don't Sound like this preacher a lot around here, but I'd want to talk to every young person in the room. And I'm glad at least one of my kids is in this room. Man, be careful. And it's why when I'm talking to some of you, parenting is probably the hardest job in the world, isn't it? How do you, how do, you do that? I mean, parents, can't we get together a little bit and talk more? Maybe we need some small groups and some classes designed around this very thing. Maybe we need to bring in Dr. Tim Elmore to talk to Fondren Church, but how do, you, how, do you, how do you parent well in this world? How do you teach a kid to walk in their ways of their heart and to follow their sight, but also to tell them that they will be accountable to the judgment of God? There are things we can do. You can wreck your life, literally. You can wreck your li- the lives of other people. And I'm telling you what Solomon is telling you. Be careful. Be very careful. He goes on to say something pretty important. Not only does he say revel, not only does he say experience life, but he also says banish. Banish, verse 10. I love this in the English Standard Version. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. He's saying your, your mind, your heart, your body, the whole person take care of. It matters. Remove vexation, banish worry. I want to say this, deal with your issues because I look at 20 year olds and I see a lot of people that haven't dealt deeply with their issues. And then you cripple yourself as you move into the future. And before you know it, you've got a marriage where you can't even have, you don't even have the capacity to love. And I watch so many 20-year-olds. Glad you're here. I hope you come back. But I watch so many 20-year-olds who just, they don't understand commitment. There's daddy issues. There's abandonment issues. There's authority issues. They they don't know how to stay in a relationship. They don't know how to even connect to a church. And I watch this, and I see people who haven't removed the vexation from their heart when they were young. They didn't deal with things. And here's what I've noticed. Life is deep, y'all. It's simple, but it's deep. I'm with Mr. Rogers. You and I make it shallow and complicated, but in the depth of dealing with our issues, young people, as you banish worry, remove vexation from your heart, go deep. I'm not talking about one lame attempt at dealing with issues in your life. You know, deep roots don't come up with the first pull. Deal with your issues. Remove that worry, that vexation, banish it. What do young people worry about? You know what they worry about primarily? what other people think of them. I mean, that's huge. What other people think of them is their God so many times over. Oh, parents, I pray you hear, especially if your children are young, what more important thing can you do than share with them the gospel and the love of God and that God's shaping of them, his redemption, his creation of them, the formation of Jesus in them is greater than anybody's opinion. When you get my age, you get perilously close to that edge of I don't care what anybody thinks. Because you've lived long enough to realize people don't think about you very much anyway. And when they do, they're so busy and they think about you from their prism of self-centeredness. And they're good people maybe, but they're not God. Remove vexation. He says what? Relish. Experiment. Banish. And then I want to close at chapter 12, what we read at the beginning. He says, remember, and I'd love for you to substitute maybe a word, learn. Remember or learn from your creator in the days of your youth. Now, if you back up, you will see he talks about books. He he takes a shot at books. Some of you are like, cool, because I don't got any books, man. I don't, I don't like to read. So there's, it's in the Bible, man, no books. But Solomon says, hey, books, man, it just, they're just a mess. But book learning has its limits. Now, I love books. You guys know we've transitioned from Dooling Hall to here, our permanent home. And I have been without uh, my library for some time. I'm kind of old school. And I love books. I have a lot of books. I've collected books for over 30 years, and I can't wait. My, my friend Shelby Niece is building um, um, bookshelves right, right behind us, right behind this wall. Actually, there's a hall, and then there's a wall, and he's building a, a pastor's study for me to, for me to get all these books out of my office. God is not against books. In fact, books are a very good thing, but if you read what he says in chapter 11, you would think otherwise. But what is it that Solomon is saying about book learning? You see, when you read a book or you sit in a class, that's secondhand knowledge. But when you go out there and you do something, you live life, that's firsthand experience. Remember field trips? I always love field trips. Never really liked school, but I love field trips because it's out there. Field trips are fun. I remember field trips because we turned secondhand knowledge into firsthand experience. You could sit in church and hear a pastor talk about serving. Or you could do what one of our small groups did yesterday and show up at a nursing home and love on some people. You could sit here and hear a sermon about doing good for other people. Or you could do what about 15 of our deacons did yesterday and go to, the, to a house in Bellhaven and love on a family that needs a lot of yard work and stuff done. There's something to be said about life. And life is the real teacher. Do you believe that? Life is, it's really the teacher. Now let me say, in the book of Titus, it tells older men to find a younger man or men, and it tells older women to find a younger woman or women, to seek them out and to love them and to speak into them. He uses the expression in chapter 11, if you read it later, he talks about goads and nails. Now, what's a goad? You got the nail part. What's a goad? A goad was a primitive instrument. It's written about in ancient Israel and and Latin culture, but it's a primitive object that was used to move the mule across the farmland or to, to get that ox to do what it needed to do. One end was blunt and the other end was sharp, and that goad would hit into that animal, right? And when that, when that farmer really needed that goat or that mule to move, it would use the sharp end to jab at it to get it to do what it wanted. Now, isn't that profound? I mean, the implications there are so many, but sometimes we come to church or we show up with a friend or we enter into a small group or mentoring relationship, and we don't want goads, do we? Because to goad is to prod into thinking and action. It's to move you somewhere maybe where you don't even want to go, but where you need to be. And we need to be goaded if we're really going to learn, if we're going to be able to remember our creator in the days of our youth and learn from him. At times we are going to need to be goaded. But he also says that there are nails involved. Now that sounds painful, but what he means there is that as we're goaded and prodded into action, we need something to hang what we're learning on so that it will stay, so that it will stick. So that we can remember our creator in the days of our youth. And I look at Titus and I think, what if that was more true of us? Because what we have as a church is a line of demarcation. And we have our 40 and 50 and 60 year olds on one side and they get together. Careful how you hear me on this. But the 40 and 50 and 60 year olds get together and they share their collective knowledge. Because when you've lived a little bit, you know some stuff. And then the 20s and 30s are over here and they get together and they share their collective ignorance. And I'm not, I don't mean to be funny, I'm not trying to diminish anybody, I'm just saying there's just things in the 20s and 30s you just don't know. I mean, there are guys, they, they don't know how to love their wives. Listen to me, there are men in this room and they do not know how to love their wives in a way that their wives understand that they are loved. To be able to speak that into her and to live that way. They don't know. They don't know that she doesn't want to go to a tractor pool. They don't know these things. They don't know that a budget is important, that the Sabbath rest really means something, and that you ought to put down that device and look them in the eyes. They just don't know it. They're not mean. They're not wicked men. They just don't know, and they need somebody to tell them. Sometimes we just don't know what we don't know. And oh, I dream of a church where we could ridge the gap where people who know some things about living would share with those who need to know kind of going throwback sunday i remember when i was in high school and i'd show up at a public place maybe a mall or something like that and i'd look at like seventh graders and i'd be like you guys are punks you don't you're just you're in my way you're in the seventh grade you know nothing and then i got to college and i would look at high schoolers and i think you know y'all i mean what do you know high schoolers punks And then I got out of college, and I'd look at people in college, I'd be like, man, you're sequestered, you're quarantined, you're clustered, you're living in a bubble, you're not in the I'm in the real world, I know stuff, you're not in the real world, you're a punk. And then I got to my 30s and I would look back at people in their 20s and think, man, you're you're like your dad still pays for your auto insurance and your cell phone, and man, you know nothing, you're a punk, you're just a punk. And it's pretty safe to assume there's some probably 50 and 60 year olds in the room now that are looking at me thinking, man, what a punk preacher, man. It's like jacket out, no ties, shirts hanging out, wear some kicks that have laces on them, a goatee shaved head, talking about nails and goads and young people, man. Come on. Punk. There's probably a 90-year-old somewhere. It's funny to me to think about. It. There's a 90-year-old going, I hate all you punks. But man, you know, man, I pray that God would work in us. Because I, as I looked at Ecclesiastes 12 and back at 11 to close out this series, I just started thinking, man, we, we need to get rid of the punk stuff. What if we embraced people and we just met them right where they're at and we spoke something into them? Maybe it's a goad. Maybe it's a nail. Maybe it's something they really need to hear. But we, man, if we did that, if we did that, if you're, if you're 60, year old, 60 or 70 in the room, we need you at Fondren Church. Don't leave us. In fact, go get some friends. Tell them God's doing something. At Fondren Church, there's a lot of young people. They're punks. Come join us. Pastor's a punk, but he's growing. Come join us. He said he needs us. But we, we need you. And we need that wisdom. Here's Solomon saying, remember, remember the days. Learn. Life is a gift and joy. Life is an adventure. Live by faith. Deal with your issues. Deal with your issues. Remove those worries from your heart. Learn, remember. It's going to be hard, but remember. And when you learn a hard lesson, hang it up. If you need a visual reminder, put a visual reminder. I do. And I look and I say, that's my lesson. That's, that's what I learned. That's what I need to know. That's what I'm going to stick to. And he says, he closes out the book. Unfortunately, I didn't put it on the screen. At the last part, he talks about the end, the chief end is what? To fear God. And here's what I'm learning through a lot of trial and error. When, I'm, when I fear God, I'm not afraid of anything else. When I don't fear God, I'm afraid of a lot any little variation, any little slight change of wind direction or temperature or change in my life, it freaks me out. And I make a big deal an ordeal. And Solomon closes by saying, fear God. Not the run scared fear that you guys experienced at Halloween, but the reverence, the run to God and to learn from Him. Would you pray with me? As you center yourself and so we pray, we're gonna stand and sing and invite you to to pray with us, to be prayed for. But I ask you in in the quietness of this moment as we lead into ending our morning with worship that you would consider your own life Do you see your life as a gift? And is there joy? Are you taking time to enjoy? Do you see it as an adventure? Or are you just waiting around for ideal circumstances? Not willing to cast your bread on the water, willing to sow seed and put something into the ground or release it from your hand and trust God with the results. And maybe you're doing all the outward things, the occasional church visit. Maybe go to a Bible study periodically, but you're not really dealing with issues in your life. There's some things that ought to be banished. In the middle of us, following our heart and walking in the ways and walking in the sight of what's in front of us, there's the potential for great danger. God will judge and God calls us to fear Him. The first John four seventeen says perfect love cast out fear and I pray that somebody in this room that really needs that would hear that today. God, I pray that you would take our time Lord, that you would receive these few minutes from us as a gift, our gift back to you. Lord, your word is active and powerful and it's sharp and it can discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And Lord, I pray today, Lord, that we would pray now that we would seek you. Lord, what an honor to to speak your word and to see it take its effect. And God, I pray that it would today, despite me, that you would work in people here and in the life of our church. Create a great, healthy fear of God in us. And you, in you we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand? And we're gonna be down front, a few of us would love the opportunity to pray with you. We will stand here and we will sing and look at you as you look at us if we need to, but we would love the opportunity if anybody wants to push away their pride and just say, I'm going to take a few steps because I need to be prayed for. I don't care what people think. There's something I, I need to be prayed for today. We would love to have that opportunity to do that now. Let's all stand.
1: We want to thank everybody for being here to worship with us today at Fondren Church. We just have a few opportunities we want to share with you about how you can connect with our church body of believers here over this holiday season. First, we want to invite you, to, um, you and your family to join us at our Christmas Eve service. December twenty-fourth, Christmas Eve at three o'clock. We hope you might could invite some of your family and friends that maybe don't have a Christmas Eve tradition to join us and be here to start a new tradition with your family on Christmas Eve at three. At two fifteen, we'll have cookies and coffee. It'll be a fun time to just share this special holiday season together as a church family. And then we have some things for the kids coming up December twelfth and thirteenth. Emily Hood has planned some great things for your family if you have preschoolers. Uh, a family fun night where you can dress the kids up in their PJs and they can come and have a snack supper, as well as a parent's day out, which sounds promising to me. Um, check Check in with Emily Hood about details on that. Tonight, we have a youth gathering at 5 o'clock in this space. We want to be sure you invite your young people to that. And immediately following the worship service today, we have an interest meeting concerning our mission trip to Cambodia. We'll be meeting in the Welcome Center immediately following the service today if you're interested in that. We thank you for being here today. We want to send you forth on this adventure that the Lord has given us with hope. Merry Christmas.